Welcome to Season 7 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our new partnership with Last Word on Sports. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly presented by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week we feature a Chicago sportscaster who went news and who has many stories to tell, Ryan Baker. I don't care how many, yeah, Illinois won the most Big Ten games in the last four seasons. Who cares? What did you do in March? Which well, is why people still talk about the flying Illini some 35 years later, a team that didn't win at all, just got to the Final Four. And, and the, the fan base is still enamored with this team because at least you did something. The 2005 team that got to the title game, you know, and, and, and Illinois hasn't hung a banner. Few have accomplished what Ryan Baker has, switching from television sports to news, but he's done so seamlessly. This longtime journalist has seen it all, making a name for himself in Champaign, San Diego, Orlando, and of course here in Chicago. A native of Chicago Heights, Baker was once a student basketball manager for the famous Flying Illini of 1989. And I dare you to do what he did. So, Ryan Baker, tell me a story I don't know. Well, George, thanks for having me. This is a, a real honor and a treat. I think it's only appropriate I tell you this story. I don't think you know, but only a few people do. Uh, the year 1988, it was the spring of 88 because it was March Madness, which would have been my freshman year at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Uh, and you might recall, of course, you, you saw him sitting courtside when the Jayhawks won the national championship. Danny Manning, Danny and the Miracles. So let's rewind the tape. We go back to Selection Sunday in uh, 1988. Kansas was kind of struggling getting into the tournament. And I think they were still, it was still the big eight back then. Anyway, the bids come out, the fellas in the dorm are doing their brackets. Oklahoma was the, the big dog, you know, and every, that was the favorite to win it. With uh, our, our Stacy King was leading the Sooners, Mookie Blaylock, and and that that whole crew, and and Harvey Grant, not not Horace Grant, Harvey yeah. Grant was on that team. Anyway, that time, one of my roommates was Stephen Bardo, who was the starting point guard for the. They weren't yet done the flying Illini. It was just the Illini, the fighting Illini, more than flying, because this would have been Stephen's sophomore year, my freshman year. That's a whole other story. How we ended up becoming roommates my second semester of my first year on campus uh, at Illinois. But in terms of this story, there's a lot of back and forth, who's gonna win, who's, who's the favorite to win a national championship. I believe it was Amiri Curry said, I'm going with Kansas. And I'm like, are you crazy? Have you watched Kansas? They suck right now. There's no way Kansas won the national championship. You know, it's gonna be Oklahoma. But I said, there's no way. I said, if Kansas wins the national championship, I'll run buck naked at high noon at the quad if they, and, I, and he says, you got to bet. And I'm like, didn't think anything of it. So then, you know, there's the first round, second round, sweet 16, elite eight. Next thing you know, after spring break, we come back, Kansas is in the final four. Of course, that year, if I recall, Illinois, I was, I was, I was the student manager my freshman year. We lost to Villanova in the second round. 
that year. We played in Cincinnati. Anyway, we come back. And, and everyone's looking at me like, okay, Baker, are you sweating a little bit? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't think they'd get past the first round. I think I had even said that. And here they are in the Final Four, and, and this Danny and the Miracles mystique keeps growing, and he's leading the Jayhawks to the Final Four. And I go, oh, well. So next thing you know, they, it's, it's, it's uh, semifinal Saturday. They win. They win the national title game against Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma is a solid eight-point choice over Kansas, and with good reason. They have beaten them twice by that margin in Big 8 competition. But, Billy, Kansas has the magnificent Danny Manning. He's done everything for the team this year but drive the bus over to the arena. Well, we haven't had a player since 79 when Larry Bird put a team on his back at Indiana State and carried them all the way. And I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? So, anyway, as you know how the story ends, of course, Kansas wins the national championship for Larry Brown. I said, listen, I'm a man of my word. As soon as the final horn sounded, they said, okay, you don't have to go to the quad. You, matter of fact, you don't even have to do it. It's a gentleman's bet. It's no, I said, no, 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 I'm not a welcher. Uh, as my old uh, dorm mates and, 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 and Illinois uh, alums will often remind me that Ryan Baker was stripped down to his skivvies in a pair of Air Jordans and a down coat and I said, no, I'm going all the way. And I, did, uh, I, I did about a 100-yard dash from our dorm, which was Hopkins Hall right there. It was called the six-pack with these group of six norms from, from Hopkins Hall to the Illini Orange and back. And all I remember is everyone's face plastered in the window like, this guy's crazy. There's no one's going to do it. To this day, Stephen said, I, I learned a couple of things. One, you are crazy. Two, you're a man of your word. Well, you never know, you never know. I've interviewed Corey McFerrin for this podcast, and the two of you know each other very well and took the same path. He's the morning news anchor at Fox 32 after 30 years of doing sports, and you at CBS 2. Two others, the legendary Warner Saunders and Tim Weigel, also made the switch. So why, after all these years in sports, Ryan, did you make such a daring move? That's a great question, George. I, I think the first answer that comes to mind is it, it was a challenge that was presented. And it was kind of a gut thing. As you know, in this business, whether it's local television, radio, so much so these days in print that, uh, you know, uh, nothing's promised, nothing's secure. It's not like the, the heyday, if you will, of local journalism and, and, and certainly covering Chicago sports where, you know, you had it seemed at one point, you know, endless, limitless budgets and um, access more than anything, because that, that's what makes the job is the access. And that's how you're able to build relationships and tell the best stories. In the old days, I mean, it was a distinct line of church and state between, oh, there's the print, you know, the print guys, the scribes, the newspaper writers or magazines, and then there's the TV guys. Well, th that, that line is not even blurred. It doesn't exist. Because anyone, you know, who's in any media platform is doing, you know, multiple streams to get content. And everyone's on social media. Everyone's posting videos. Everyone's, uh, you know, opining about anything under the sun. Instead of having a well-thought-out, vetted, well-written story, you get stories and pieces as they're happening. And then they collect all of those 
thoughts and quotes, then they put something together, which you can click on at, at a particular website. You know, uh, I mean, I, I think of, a, you know, one of the great, great writers in this town, Casey Johnson, who was a must read at the Tribune. Well, he's now specifically a Bulls writer with NBC Sports Chicago. I mean, you see so many instances like this, yep. uh, you know, of Mark Lazarus with the, the Blackhawks, who now is at the Athletic. That's just the evolution of where we are. Long-winded way of me saying of all of these things contributing. And so from a local standpoint, you know, our audience is really the, the non-diehard sports fan. If I was doing this sports for years at Channel 5 and Channel 2, you know, you want, I, you know, one of the best compliments I might get is, is if I'm at the grocery store and, and, and the housewife will come and say, you know what, I, I really don't like sports, but I like watching you. And, and that, that's incumbent upon us as news organizations to do a better job of, of presenting that news. But, you know, all of these things are at play in this evolving media digital landscape. I said, hey, what the hell, you know, let, let's try it. And I, I spent 30 years doing sports. That experience doesn't just evaporate overnight. And I never, ever looked at myself as just a sports guy or, you know, you're just a sports guy. I, you know, I'm a storyteller. My job was always to tell the best story. And particularly, you know, here in Chicago of being a part of this community, wanting to, uh, I take that very seriously, that responsibility of serving our viewers, serving the community as, you know, the person delivering you the news and information that you need. So what was the biggest transition you really had to make? Um, the biggest transition is waking up when I used to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> That was the one thing, you know, you're not just switching the news, but to the morning news. Yeah, a lot of folks say, you know, I go to bed with you every night, just wake up with me. That's yeah, all you have to right. do. Exactly. <laughs> Looking forward to a new, exciting, challenging chapter. People always ask me, like, when do you go to bed? I said, well, you know, I'm kind of an, uh, an eight to two sleeper, that six hour window, uh, which is interesting. In, in the course of a work week, maybe once my alarm clock will go off. I typically just wake up. You know, because I'm downtown no later than three in the morning. We're on the air at 4.30 till seven and, you know, some other things from seven to eight then do the 11 a.m. news. And by 11.30, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What am I going to do now? Well, that's it. That's been a transition of after years of, you know, anchoring the evening news and the 10 o'clock and traveling. And, you know, even on the East Coast, when I would do the late news, the late news comes on at 11 o'clock at night on the East Coast. When I worked in Orlando for years, or even out in California, where you, you know, you're getting home at midnight and unwinding and it's, you know, two, three in the morning before you're finally asleep. You know, I, I can't sleep past two in the morning now. It, it's all part of the journey and the growth. And I said, you know, at this stage of my career and at this stage of my life, I have two young kids. So there is a benefit and a, a value to being home when they get home from school as, you know, uh, you don't know how things are going to transpire and develop as you move forward. And, you know, one thing I do know is the, the one thing you can't get back is time. You could always get another job. You can get, you know, get an opportunity to make more money or, you know, other opportunities, but you can't get time back. So I just, you know, my gut just felt like this was the right thing for me to do right now. And I don't have any regrets. I mean, there are days, of course, I miss it. Um, and that, that, that itch and that bug is always going to be a part of me. I mean, you, you know this, George. I mean, when, when you're covering sports, I mean, that's, it's a certain DNA, and either you have it or you don't. And if you do have it, you can't really shake it. 
When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. 888 for Mr. Duct. That's 888 467 3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Take me back a few years, or in this case, a few more than a few years. You grew up in suburban Phoenix, which is actually a small town some 20 miles south of the Chicago Loop. As a kid, you got to meet Jim Rose of Channel 7 and Dan Roan, who retired last year from Channel 9, and whom I featured on this podcast. They really, really had a profound effect on you, didn't they? Absolutely, they did at different times. And it was really um, serendipitous of the times that I was able to cross paths with Jim Rose, which, you know, to this day, Jim Rose is not just like a dear friend. He's like, he's truly a big brother or like that uncle that you, you looked up to. But, you know, even over the last, you know, I've been in this market now, almost 20 years. But to, to rewind the, the, the clock with that, I, I think I was in, I'm pretty sure I was in junior high and we were out to dinner and, oh, that's Jim Rose. And I just went over to him and introduced myself. I can't remember what I said other than, you know, I'd like to do what you do. And he was very nice and polite. I said, blah, 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 you know, do this X, Y, and Z. But it was just, it was a positive experience. And, and then the other individual was Dan Rowe. Dan, you know, I, I, I say this without any reservation and, and 100% sincerity. I would not be here where I am professionally without Dan Rowe. Good evening at Wrigley Field today. A doubleheader split for the Cubs against Atlanta. 3-0 losers in the first game, wasting nine shutout innings by Jamie Moyer. But in the second game, Damon Berryhill's single in the sixth inning helped Al Nipper to his first National League win. Dan is a guy who's always been very supportive and, you know, championed me, whether, you know, I would keep in touch. Hey, I'm, you know, getting, taking this job in San Diego because, you know, the, the, the similarities we had, Dan also worked at Channel 3 in Champaign at WCIA and worked for uh, my late news director, Dave Shaw. So, as you know, Dan is just, uh, he's as uh, salt of the earth as they get, right? Uh, loved Still loves Illinois. So he was able to kind of, keep tabs on me as I was going from Champaign to San Diego. And actually a couple times, you know, tried to get me a WGN. It just didn't work out for whatever reason, you know, doing different things, but it was always there. And certainly once I got the job here at channel five, and then I guess that was an 08 going from channel five to channel two. So uh, I've been very fortunate to have some tremendous mentors and role models both professionally and personally um, in my life to, to, to kind of follow the path. I mean, so many, uh, countless people, but certainly some really stalwarts of Chicago television who I had the honor and privilege to cross paths with. Um, I don't take that for granted at all. 
And I do feel responsibility when given the opportunity to step into a role that they served for me and pass that along to someone else coming up. You attended Thornridge High School, and it was there that you were really infected with the broadcasting bug. But you were also the student council president. That's really big stuff, Ryan. It's interesting, as I was reflecting on things, I've always been focused on what's next. What's the thing in front of me? And I don't spend a whole lot of time reminiscing on what has happened. There's a few things that stand out, you know, that, you know, special memories. But for the most part, I'm always thinking about the next thing. And I had to stop and, and think and go, yeah, you know what? Your junior year, you were student council vice president and you were elected student council president. That's a kind of a big deal, you know, of a school with 2,500 kids and, you know, be selected to speak at your graduation ceremony. That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> Not a lot of kids can say they did that. So, yeah, I mean, I can look back now and say, yeah, that was those, those are proud moments and uh, probably helped shape me to be in leadership positions and people saw things in me that maybe didn't see in myself. But one of the things you learn as you progress in life and experience some modicum of success, not everybody is cheering for you. And, and that's okay, That's because uh, that's not what it's about. It's about trying to be the best you can be and be as genuine and authentic as you can be and, and committed to what the goals are. But I, I think a lot of my old classmates from Thornridge and even going back to Coolidge Junior High School will say, you know what, it doesn't surprise me. You always said this is what you were going to do. The sad part about that is, George, I'm like, well, shit, I didn't have a, I didn't have a plan B. <laughs> what if this didn't work out? <laughs> yeah, I think that happens more often than we think. In 1991, you graduated from Illinois, but you also won a contest. So tell me a story. I don't know, Ryan, what contest did you win? So I graduated in May of 91. And by the good fortune of, again, I mentioned the relationships I've built uh, working with Illinois basketball. Uh, one was with a gentleman by the name of Dan Sweeney, who was the sports director at WICD Channel 15, the NBC affiliate at that time in Champaign, Central Illinois. Dan had actually done a story on me a couple years earlier. I might have been a freshman or sophomore, and all the guys on the team used to call me JT because they said, boy, you look like John Thompson, because I have a towel over my shoulder and glasses and a sweater. And they said, that, that, that's little John Thompson. <laughs> and I have some pictures that can back that up. And uh, so he did a whole, a whole feature story on this basketball manager who is a spitting image of John Thompson. So we developed a really good relationship. And again, he also would, I would go to the station and soak up a lot of knowledge and learn. So I, I get this uh, job at Channel 15, basically two, three weeks after graduation. And I was behind the camera. I was a photographer shooting and I was going out shooting one man band stuff. Needless to say, I'm done. I, I had to take one more summer school class to kind of finish something up for like one credit or two credits, but you know, I, I was done. Well, that, that fall prior to the season opener, this would have been the fall of 91. Illinois football is opening the season against East Carolina. It's that, that last weekend in August. It's an ESPN nationally televised game. One of my professors, it might have been the dean or someone in the college of, at that time it was known as the College of Communications before it changed to College of Media. And he said, listen, we got this call from ESPN and they, they're starting this new deal that every week, every Big Ten campus they go to during the football season, they want to audition a journalism student or 
a TV and radio student to be that game's sideline reporter. And of course, my ears and my eyes lit up like, oh my God, this is, this is perfect. They said, but you have to be a student. I'm like, well, well, that sucks. And I said, well, I did just kind of finish up this summer school deal, but you know, I actually have my diploma degree. So I'm, I, I am a University of Illinois graduate. I said, I said, how about this? And, and he said, I'll, I'll talk to the producer and see if you can do it. And they said, well, we kind of like it to be a student because that's how we're promoted it. I said, well, how about this? Can I just go through the audition process for the experience just to see how, what it's like? I had to kind of sell it. And he's like, okay, you can do that. So I go to Memorial Stadium and they would give me some scenario and said, okay, give us a 30 second report or 60 second report. I can't remember exactly what I said or what, was the, what it was about, but I noticed there the energy and body language. They were like, oh, wow, we finally got somebody we like. So I'm like, okay, this is going well. Make a long story short, they came back to, to me and said, well, here's what we're going to do. For broadcast purposes, you're an Illinois graduate student. <laughs> and I got the opportunity. And, you know, think about this, 91 ESPN, I wouldn't call it exactly Leslie at that point, but it wasn't the worldwide leader it is today. But still, people I knew all over the country were able to see me doing this. And it was just one of those, it was one of those moments that, yes, a great memory but it, it also gave me the encouragement and the, the, the confidence to know, hey, you can do this, just stick with it. If, if you can get a job to be on ESPN for a day, you know, you could just, just keep working. It, it, it's, it's, it's all gonna work out. And it did, it, you know, it, uh, it, it was several months after that before I really got a full-time on-air gig at Channel 15, but I was only at that station a year and then in 92, I got a call to, and I was asked to come over to Channel 3, WCIA, which is the news leader in central Illinois. And at that time was far and away. I mean, it was like getting a call from the Yankees, like, okay, we want, we want you to come <laughs> play for us. And that, that, that was a significant game changer because that led to me going to San Diego. So you did two TV stints at two stations in Champaign. You go to San Diego, then Orlando, where you really established yourself before getting the call from NBC5 here in Chicago. But there's a backstory here because their lead sports anchor at the time, Darian Chapman, died suddenly in 2002. Well, I, I believe that was October of 2002, if I'm correct. And I just remember, first of all, it's heartbreaking, you know, even to, to think or talk about it now, um, you know, anybody passing away so prematurely, uh, a husband and a father, aside from his professional accomplishments, just at, at that young of an age, I believe he was 37, 38 years old. Incredible pitching at Wrigley Field, and it happened again today. We got a little deja vu going on, and not just for the couple of days. See, folks, the last time the Cubs were on a winning streak like this one was back in 1998, and we all know what happened that year, don't we? Before he was hired at Channel 5 at WMAQ, I had inquired and was, you know, was actually had conversations about the job that he was hired for. So that might've been in, I'm guessing, I don't know, 98, 99. Uh, Cause I don't think Darian was on the air here very long, maybe two, three years. Is that right, George? I remember it as being a pretty short stint. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's say it was like maybe 99, 2000. So after he passed a couple of things, I was just like, it was shocked. Like, I can't believe this. And then you, you know, with the, he was the ice rink and the, the sarcoidosis and, you know, it was just like, wow, this is, just a, just a really terrible, shocking, tragic story. Well, you know, this is 
what I consider somewhat the early days of internet when you'd have the dial up and that's how you get information. And, you know, I was logging on to the Chicago. I would always check, you know, read the Sun-Times and read these things. And, you know, then all of a sudden I started getting emails and calls from friends here in Chicago. Uh, hey, did you hear about the guy Channel 5? He died. I said, yeah, it's awful. It's terrible. And, and listen, I, I know that some people who care for you and, uh, you know, want you to do well, sometimes will put decorum and, and cooth and manners to the side. I mean, literally, I, can, I, I got at least two calls, someone saying, well, are you going to send the tape? And I got, come on, man, this man just died. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I, this, is, this, is, this is really, really bad. But so just that, the, even after that happened, I just, I really had no thought of pursuing anything at, at, uh, at Channel 5. And this is, again, late 2002. And, 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 and frankly, things were going very well for me in Orlando. A couple months later, I'm home for the holidays, and this is December of 2002. I'm on, I think, on Michigan Avenue or somewhere doing some holiday shopping. I happen to run into Kim Vadis, who Kim Vadis and I worked together at the CBS affiliate in Orlando, Channel 6 WKMG. And she left there, and she ended up working at WMAQ, Channel 5. It was completely random. I'm like, oh, Kim, hey, how are you doing, man? And she, and she says to me, she says, have, have you called Frank? Frank is Frank Whitaker, who's the head of news yes. at Channel 5 to this day. And, and I had had a relationship with him, as I said, back when, before Darian Chapman was hired, originally just talking to him, here's a tape, blah, blah, blah. And he's saying, hey, you know, I don't think you're quite ready. You're not there yet, but stay in touch with me. Uh, I met Frank at journalism conferences and he was, you know, had a keen interest and said, you know, I, I just don't think you're there yet. And I said, you know what, maybe I'll shoot him an email. I did. And he almost immediately got back to me, and, uh, which was a shock to me. And I said, hey, you know, we kind of started a dialogue. And I said, I'll, I'll be back up in a couple months. Maybe I'll pop in. And he said, well, please do let me know and, and bring some of your stuff. I did that. That might have been January of, at that, this point, it was 2003. And I went by NBC and we set up an appointment and I remember popping the tape in in his office and it was a very similar reaction to back to that ESPN audition fresh out of college to be the sideline reporter when you can kind of feel the energy shift and like like it was kind of like oh okay he's gotten a little bit better maybe he's gotten a lot better kind of thing but it was enough for me to know I was like I don't know how, how this is going to work out but for me I left that left his office that day knowing okay I'm on the right track. I don't know how this is going to work out, what's going to happen. Not that I don't care, but that was great validation for me that, you know, he saw something on that tape that said, okay, this kid might be okay. He, he might have something. And, you know, they were doing a full exhaustive national search. And maybe I was kind of like this, this dark horse or this long shot. Uh, you know, I think the fact that I was from the Chicago area, had some relationships and connections I didn't get offered the job until July of 2003. So that's over six months later. <laughs> it, it all worked out. And, you know, there I was, you know, by August of that year, working at Channel 5. And that was, it was very surreal because at that moment, that's when it hit me. Like, you, you know, you, you have it in the back of your mind. And there was this goal of when, like, when I was in high school, I'm going to be a sportscaster in Chicago, you know, 
almost every kid in Chicagoland says that at one point or had you know one point or the other, but to actually have it become reality and manifested through, you know, having to go hard work, dedication, some fortuitous things happen to you in terms of and being in the right place at the right time certainly did not count uh, Darian Chapman passing away amongst one of those in terms of being like advantageous. I don't, I don't look at it that way. It's still something just very tragic and awful, but I just, you know, the subsequent opportunity that I, I didn't have control over that either. If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We resume with Ryan Baker on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I guess the bottom line in all of this is you've managed to get back to your hometown. And think of all the things that you got to cover since you returned. Two World Series championships, three Stanley Cup titles, a trip to the Super Bowl with the Bears, and of course, covering those fighting Illini, the NCAA title game in 2005. And that, I imagine, had to be a monumental thrill. Oh, absolutely. That... 2005 team being down 14 points to Arizona with like less than four to play the force overtime and win at the, you know, Allstate Arena, the old Rosemont Horizon, literally the building was shaking. Throughout the season, went in trouble in the second half. They managed to find another gear. Can they do it with time running out? There is all Ingram to bat the ball away. Williams could tie it with a three. He does! And, and, it, and it comes back. I mean, the only reason I think it's probably not number one on a lot of people's list is because uh, Illinois lost in the title game to North Carolina. Had the Illini won that the national champions, it's part of the lore. But it's still up there. It comes back every year of great moments because it was nothing like it. Just an unbelievable to knock off Arizona. So that's what I remember. But yes, to be in St. Louis that weekend was mind-blowing. So just a few weeks ago, Ryan, the Fighting Illini bowed out of the NCAA tournament in the first round, and they didn't look very good. And then they lost in the first round, or before that, lost in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. They were very inconsistent all season. So how do you assess Brad Underwood's tenure thus far? And he's he under any pressure next year to win a tournament game? Knowing Brad like I do, he's under self-inflicted pressure because in extreme disappointment and underachievement to have another first round exit, not only in the Big Ten tournament, not to make it out of the first weekend in March in the big dance, three consecutive years. Uh, I mean, in, in this case, it was an eight, nine matchup with Arkansas. So I guess technically it was not an upset since the Hogs were the eight seed, but still in a pick em game, if you go back to the Loyola fiasco, when you're a number one seed, you're a number one seed with, with 
a golden path to get to the Final Four and possibly a national championship. Kofi didn't run the floor. He's tired. Look at this. He's not even getting back. Williamson comes around. He's not screen. getting back. It's up to 12. It cost him a basket. He is fatigued. Woo. He can reach back and get involved. There's a fight in the line. I needs to show some fight here in the last minute and 40 seconds. What a great job, Loyola. Another fairy tale ride is underway for Loyola Chicago. The following year, you get by the hair of your chinny chin chin beat Chattanooga and, quite frankly, didn't deserve to win that game. And then you get abused by Houston. And here we are uh, three years in a row where, you know, you get to March and it's the, a dramatic thud. Yes. Brad and the program, they're, they're facing a lot of critics and criticisms and questions. But the reality with this team, Brad had to not only change his team, but change his coaching staff, which people don't always highlight that enough when he had to bring in three new assistants, basically. That's a lot to get acclimated to with that team that's returning. This past year, you recruit a whole new team. I mean, he lost major contributors every year, and you go out through the transfer portal and you bring in a Terrence Shannon Jr., and you bring in the Matthew Meyer on paper, great additions. But the reality is these are fifth-year seniors, not freshmen who are super hungry, not to say that these – I mean, yes, they're experienced, but how are you going to buy into any culture or tradition that you know nothing about when you know you're only there for one year? Well, and but that's – isn't that the biggest issue that is facing college sports today, and particularly college okay. basketball, is the transfer portal, which is part of the reason, I think, why Illinois was inconsistent. I think the other reason was, was Brad Underwood. But here you are. You've got some players – who actually have played at four schools in four different years. You know what I think it is? I think college basketball is professional basketball, and all of this is free agency. Well, it's absolutely free agency. And I think those four years and four, well, four schools in four years, those are more outliers than the typical players who get into the portal. In general, you know, the majority of players will play for multiple schools during their collegiate eligibility you know, on the high-end three. I, I think that's going to be the average. The, the point being, though, you can't count on a, on a team you could develop. When you bring in a recruiting class that you've spent two, three years recruiting as freshmen, the big talk immediately, right, right after Illinois lost to Arkansas, is, is Ty Rogers coming back? Is Sincere Harris coming back? Is Jaden Epps coming back? That was the, the immediate thing. And even Underwood himself, these coaches recruit 12 months out the year. There's no offseason, and that's ridiculous that you're constantly recruiting and re-recruiting guys because, and it speaks to a larger social issue and a cultural issue of our society that A, kids can't endure any adversity. They can't suck it up and stick it up. And I'm, I don't want to be the get off my lawn guy, but I am going to be that guy. You know, it's like, come on, man up, woman up. You know, you, you, you can't just quit when it gets tough. And the parents and it, advisors and agents who get involved, they're, they're as much of the problem as anything because they're not saying, hey, no, you, you're still my son, daughter. Uh, no, you, you're not going to transfer. You know, you, you made a commitment and you're going to stick it out unless there's some egregious reason why you should transfer. And, and I'm not saying that. It's because, well, I'm not happy. It's not the right fit. I didn't get the playing time. I mean, keep this in mind with Illinois. I mean, they had a top 50 recruit in Sky Clark who took hundreds of thousands of dollars in NIL money. That's the other piece of this, the portal in the NIL. And midseason, when he loses his starting job, which basically was promised to him, he got pissed and quit.
And his parents let him do that. This is a kid who went to four high schools in four years. That's unbelievable. So, 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 so there was a pattern there, but he's not alone. It's systemic that you see in college basketball at the, at the power five high major level, which is how a fairly Dickinson can beat a number one seed in Purdue, which, which is how a Princeton can knock off an Arizona. That's how it happens when you've got experience and teams that have been together uh, two, three, four years in, 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 the, in the same system and you get to a one-and-done March situation, that's how it can happen. Conversely, you get to an Illinois when you, you know, literally thrown a team together that you did not have this time last year. You did not have this team. What allegiance do they really have to the name on the front of the jersey? They don't. They're hired guns. They're mercenaries. They come in to do a job. So when you're a Brad Underwood and many coaches in his position, you're trying to fill out a roster and assemble talent you're not necessarily recruiting for chemistry and culture and fit because you don't have that luxury. you got to, you know, it's a rat race out there in this portal to grab these players who are available and you're trying to put a team together to justify, you know, your lofty rankings and position and all of the, the crap that all these teams put on Twitter, the, the self-promotion and marketing, which I can't stand. You know, quite frankly, I don't care how many, you know, Illinois won the most Big Ten games in the last four seasons. Who cares? What did you do in March? Which well, is why people still talk about the flying Illini some 35 years later, a team that didn't win at all, just got to the final four. And, and the, the fan base is still enamored with this team because at least you did something. The 2005 team that got to the title game, you know, and, and, and Illinois hasn't hung a banner. You know, it's funny on the other side of the coin, there's Brett Bielema, and he had a wonderful season with the football team. They went eight and four, appeared at a college playoff ranking for the first time, and then he gets rewarded with a six-year extension. So maybe the Illini have finally found their right guy on the sideline. The fact that one of his favorite coaches, one of his favorite people, Brett Bielema, was able to get a win today, he would be congratulating the Illini. History is made. Brett Bielema returns to Madison. And the Fighting Illini get their first win in Wisconsin, in Madison, since 2002. It certainly seems to be the case. And Brett, taking over the football program, you get, first and foremost, a experienced season football coach, particularly at the collegiate level, and came in and seized the opportunity, a, a program that was ripe for some direction after Lovey Smith basically tried to you know, pull it out of the mud, but still wasn't the right fit as a head coach towards the end. But you get a guy in Brett Bielema, who I think is a perfect fit who wants to be a college coach, understands what it means to be a college football coach and embraces that. Uh, and, and you've seen the results not only last year, but you, you saw it trending that direction the year before. But again, a, a big part of Bielema's success last year was tied to a transfer portal quarterback in Tommy DeVito. Got another one this year coming in, but, but look, look what he's done with those players defensively. I mean, Devin Witherspoon's got to be one of the first players defensive players to hear their name called in the NFL draft and, and, and Sidney Brown and, and his brother, Chase Brown, and some of the linemen. I mean, they're going to have a handful of kids playing on Sunday next year. In addition to the players that are already in the NFL, those type of things bode well in recruiting and building a reputation that, Hey, this is a place I want to come. So it's 2007 and life is really good. Ryan, you're 35, you're single and you appear on the Oprah show. How did that happen? <laughs> Uh, I was asked to be a guest. I don't know how um, uh, uh, someone knew someone, a mutual friend who was a producer there and said, oh, I got someone. We're doing this show on the most eligible bachelors in America, 35 and older. And 
somehow I got in that and was featured on that show. And that was, uh, I, I remember when the show first aired, or one of the times it aired, I was in Miami covering a Bulls Heat playoff game. And apparently it was on that afternoon prior to me getting to the arena to do my live shots. And I mean, everybody from Bulls, staffers and players to uh, Miami Heat, assistant coaches and people, didn't I just see you on Oprah, blah, blah, blah. And my thought is, so this is what the NBA does. They, they, they prepare for a game watching Oprah. Yeah, this, it, it, that actually happened. And uh, gosh, I, I have to dig out that tape somewhere. Uh, what's interesting is uh, I did end up meeting someone at that show who I briefly dated, who when I say briefly, it's no hard feelings, but it was the woman after her who I met who's currently my wife. So- Well, when did that happen? I met my wife in, in Chicago. You'll enjoy this story, another story you don't know, uh, in October of 2007. So that, that fall, the Cubs are in the playoffs playing the Diamondbacks. So I was in Phoenix for games one and two, which they lost and flew back on either, no, I flew back that Friday morning. So th there, there, was a, there, was a, there was a party event soiree happening in the South Loop. You know, kind of the place to be to the point that night, that Friday night, uh, Michael Jordan, who was, <clears throat> was retired, I mean, he, this was post Wizards fiasco. I mean, he was, he was out there with Charles Oakley and a bunch of guys, but this, I mean, there were, had to be a thousand people there in this big space in the South Loop. I didn't want to go that night. I said, listen, I'm exhausted. I've been out in Arizona. It was 100 degrees, comes back, and I, I, you know, I got to work tomorrow because it's game three, which the Cubs ended up getting swept that next day. And I said, okay, this is how your old college roommate gets into trouble. Steve Bardo said, hey, I thought you said you can get us on the list for that. I said, okay, how about this? I'll go with you, get you on the list, get, get in, and then I'm going to take off. Well, that didn't work out. I ended up staying for a while, and saw what was going on. And anyway, he met a young lady who was with a young lady. And the two of us were kind of wing people, if you will. And we ended up meeting and kind of hanging out a little bit, having a good time. But then I didn't think anything of it. I was like, all right, I got a, I got a long day tomorrow. And, you know, I was kind of in the midst of, you know, wrapping another uh, entanglement up, if you will, <laughs> a, a, a dalliance or a situation. Uh, this is the funny. This is the funny part of the story. So I I, I leave the event and uh, you know that White Castle right there on Cermak, right down the street from Wind Trust at this point, right on, uh, like on Twenty Second. I can never forget that that spot because of this. I my phone goes off and this is the funny thing about cell phones how much different they are. It's not the fancy iPhones. It might have been a flip phone or something. You know, it rings and I get okay. Where are you? And I said, well. I'm in the White Castle drive-thru. I'm getting a couple of sliders. I'm going home and that's it. He says, well, I, I kind of told these ladies you were having an after party. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, now you tell me. So I was living in the West Loop at the time and I pull up and sure enough, they're sitting out in front of my place. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. So we go inside and um, just kind of trying to entertain. It happened to be an unseasonably warm night for October maybe 70, 75, just gorgeous at night. And I said, you know what, let's go upstairs, sit on the deck and just kind of chit chat. And I tell my wife now, she will laugh at this story. I said, listen, I don't know your friend very well, but that's my boy and this is how this is gonna go. In about five minutes, they're gonna disappear. So 
you, you're welcome to stay. I can call you a cab, but you know, whatever you'd like. And the, the beauty of the story is she and I ended up talking until the sun came up about any number of things. I had no idea that, you know, at this point, 15 years later, you know, we'd be married, two kids in the burbs and all of that. But that's how it started. So you just never know. how this and, and I didn't need Oprah's help to get that done. Well, you never really know. I ask this final question to all my guests, Ryan. If not for the broadcasting business, what would you have been? Uh, a coach. I would probably say I would probably be coaching uh, somewhere involved in college basketball from that standpoint. Or, um, I mean, I, I had thoughts at some point of going to law school and being an agent. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that my time being a, a, around the team and a part of the team as, as a, a basketball manager, understanding that aspect of it and different things. So I would probably be something on that side of it, it if, if I'm being honest about it. That's probably where I would be. But to be honest with you, I never truly had a plan B. I just kind of felt like this is something I was called to do and meant to do in, in broadcasting and its various levels. And um, I can't say I chose the wrong path with the fork in the road. I'm trying to remember how Yogi Berra said it. I believe he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> I've had just a blast talking to you, Ryan. I've known you for so many years. You've really been a tremendous professional in this business. And particularly, you've shown all of us just how it's done, both in sports and news. And I thank you so very much for telling me a story I don't know. Appreciate it, George. A lot of fun. Thank you so much. My thanks to CBS, WGN-TV, NBC5 Chicago, NBC Sports, and the Big Ten Network for those wonderful highlights. And my thanks, as always, to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them at mrductcleaning.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.